0: with me, and then we'll get into uh, tonight's message. Lord, we, we love you, and God, we're, we're so thankful to, to know you. Um, Jesus, we're so thankful that you uh, have pursued us. We're so thankful that you have loved us, um, and God, I'm just refreshed today that you your presence just chases us down. God, you're our, our portion. You're our treasure. God, you fulfill us. And so, Lord, I know that many of us are walking in the room tonight with distractions, discouragements, um, struggles, uh, God, even sin. And, God, you see all those things and know all those things. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight would be refreshing, uh, not just because we get to be with our family here, but, Lord, because we got to encounter you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to me tonight, God. I pray that your word would speak to us and that, Jesus, our eyes would be fixed on you. Uh, we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, when I think about the series Fight Club and fighting our sin, um, <clears throat> I think there's moments in our life where, at some point, we go, "Is this following Jesus thing really worth the fight?" Like this lifelong journey of walking upstream, stepping upstream, fighting upstream. Is it really worth it? Uh, Because some of you know in the room, you come to this room, and you've experienced a lot of cost for following Jesus. Like following Jesus has really cost you, uh, and that's painful. Um, Jesus, uh, I mean, I use that image of a stream because I really do think that is the Christian life. Like Jesus, uh, you have this like raging current of the world, of sin, culture, and Jesus doesn't just ask us to cross the river of the world in that stream, but he actually asks us to walk upstream And for our whole lives, move against the current. And at some point in our life, you get tired. I mean, I didn't think today. Today I woke up, and uh, I was like, man, like this, like I just, you know when you wake up, you're just not in the right headspace? And I literally felt like for an hour and a half today, I was just like, I was just fighting and fighting and praying and praying and reading and reading, trying to get my heart in the right spot. and And I came to this point, I'm like, man, following Jesus is just really, really hard sometimes. And it really costs you, especially when it comes to your sin. And that wages war against you. We use this this phrase in the series that if you're not busy killing sin, sin will be busy killing you. And being killed by sin is exhausting. It wears you out, uh, and you want to give in. But then you also want to follow Jesus because you want to have life. But there's cost to it. And some of you may be experiencing that in this in this series. Uh, you come and, and you realize, uh, for many of you, obedience to Jesus has already cost you. Maybe it's cost you a relationship in the past, like like what Jesus asked you to do was to give up a relationship, and so maybe that cost you. Uh, Maybe following Jesus and obedience to him has cost you a friendship or a group of friends, and you're experiencing the cost of that. Some of you, following Jesus has cost you a job or a job promotion maybe somehow. For others of you, following Jesus has cost you a status or a reputation. Um, I was thinking a lot about this in my life in different seasons. For sometimes, following Jesus costs you security and comfort. And maybe this imagined future that you always wish you had or thought you would have, and then you realize, man, following Jesus and obeying him, it's going to cost me, and I don't know if I like that. And some of you, even in the series, you, you know what God is asking you to do. You know the the cost that he's kind of asking you to consider, and you've yet to make that step of obedience because you know it will cost you. Um, and so that's what, that's what I want to talk about tonight is, like, why do we fight like, if it costs us, if it's tiring, if it's a lifelong journey, why keep working against the stream and going upstream? So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Genesis uh, chapter 39. Last week, we, uh, we started this story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was a Hebrew young man. He was, tw- he was 27 years old, and uh, he was a slave. He was sold by his brothers into slavery into Egypt. And uh, he ended up being a slave in Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's uh, governors. And uh, he was, I mean, God gave him a ton of favor in uh, Potiphar's household. God's, like, hand was upon him. He was working hard. Everything that he did flourished. But then the enemy came and temptation came. And Potiphar's wife starts to realize, man, Joseph is pretty handsome. And she starts to have desires for him. And she calls him to... To sleep with her, he goes, come to bed with me. And he says, day after day, Joseph encounters Potiphar's wife who's saying, hey, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And, and what we learned last week is we talked about how uh, when, when temptation shows up at your front door, God always provides a way out the back door. But what today what we're going to see is when temptation comes to you, sometimes it puts you in prison when you obey Jesus anyway. And so if you have your Bibles, Genesis 39, uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 11. So one day uh, when Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside, uh, Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, hey, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He fleed temptation. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. So she's lying right off the bat. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And then when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, I want, I want you to really put yourself in the story. So, faith, so Joseph is already in slavery. So he's already in like a crappy situation, and he's trying to be as faithful to God as he can. He's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. This is not the place that I want to be. And so, and then this temptation comes, and Joseph has this opportunity, and last week we talked about how appealing this temptation would have been, right? Like, he's already in this place he doesn't want to be. Here is offered to him, like, some sort of pleasure that would be really nice, but he resists it, and so he obeys God, and then because he obeys God, he gets thrown into prison. Now, I want to put this into perspective, and I really want you to put yourself into Joseph's shoes. Joseph is 27 years old, and because he's faithful to God, he gets put into prison for 10 years. So from 27 years old, some of you are 27 years old right now. Imagine, from 27 years old to 37 years old, because of a decision you made to honor God, you were thrown into prison for 10 years. The same God Joseph serves and loves and adores is the same God who allows him to suffer for his obedience. That bothers me. I mean, if you really think about it, like that really bothers me. Psalm one hundred five eighteen. Uh, one of the writers actually looks back on on Joseph's story, and he says this: They speaking of Joseph, they bruised his feet with shackles. So, because of his obedience, his his ankles, his feet, they're bruised with shackles, and his neck was put in iron. So he's he's got he's got shackles on his feet. Uh, he, they're bruised, painful. He's got his neck is in this iron collar, all because he obeys the lord and here's why i love why this is in the bible because i think the bible is so incredibly relatable it's because i think for many of us let's just be honest Joseph's experience is our experience too in some way or or maybe it's the experience of somebody you know i um i remember being at the 710 retreat this last year and there was this uh, 710er and i was talking with them and they, and they were talking with me, and they just could not get their head around. They're like, I don't understand. I'm obeying God. I'm doing what he said. I'm doing what he's calling me to do. I'm cutting that thing out of my life. I'm seeking to have self-control in this. And my life's getting worse. Have you guys ever had that experience? Like, I'm trying to follow you, Jesus, and whenever I try to follow you, like, my life just gets worse. Circumstances get harder. Or maybe, like, you have that friend. Have you ever, like, had that friend, and you're, like, man, like, God, could you just be kind to them? Because they're, like, being so faithful to you, and the worst things just keep happening to them. See, listen, I know some of you in the room are mad at God because your obedience to him has cost you. And some of you are, are mad at God right now or frustrated with him or confused with him because you know the step he's asking you to take, the obedience that he's asking you to trust him in, you know it you know it will cost you. Some of you in the room, I'm just going to be honest, you're, you're even at the point of quitting on this whole Jesus thing. Or maybe some of you, uh, you're in the room, like you're not, you're not going to quit, but you're just really discouraged because faithfulness doesn't seem to be paying off. And so here's what I want to do tonight. I want to I answer that question, and I want to address those thoughts. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 73, which is a, a story of a young man named Asaph. And what I love about the Bible is Asaph has that exact same experience. This, this psalm will be like reading his journal where he's just seeing the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes, how the heck, like what is going on right now? Like I don't even understand. What's the point in serving God? And so we're going to read his story. We're going to kind of get in his mind and his heart and his journal. And we're going to learn from him. And then at the end, we're going to make our way back to Joseph. And then I just want to simply share, I want to share three motivations or three reasons why it's worth keeping up the fight. Does that sound good? All right, turn to your Bible, Psalm seventy-three, and uh, if you have your Bible app, we're going to be in the NIV translation. And if you um, if you don't, the the I was going to say the lyrics will be on the screen, but we're not going to sing this together because that's Jonathan's job. Sound good? All right, Asaph. So who is Asaph? Asaph is one of Israel's worship leaders. So speaking of Jonathan, Asaph is like. The worship leader, the Jonathan of Israel, he's in charge of putting like the set list together for uh, for the people of God as they gather and sing. And so Asaph is a very faithful uh, Jewish Israelite man. He, uh, he is committed to the Lord. He has been, he's been raised in the people of God. And uh, the situation that's going on, Asaph, he's looking around and as he's seeking to follow the Lord, he's looking around the world. He's looking around at the people around him and he's noticing, man, the wicked the ungodly, those who are far from God, they have it a, a whole lot better than the righteous, and I, he doesn't know how to make sense of it. And what I love about Asaph, and you're going to see this right now, what I love about him is uh, he's honest. He's honest about what he sees, and I'm just going to be honest. He's honest about what I see sometimes and what I feel. And so let's kind of let's let's read these verses. We'll work through them together, and then we'll kind of make some observations. So. Psalm 73, verses 1, uh, Asaph says this, "'Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart.'" And so Asaph, right off the bat, he's going to start where he ends, but he has to go through a journey before he gets back there. In verse 2, he says this, "'But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. "'I had nearly lost my foothold. "'For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked.'" So right off the bat, he goes, "Listen, man, like I, like my feet almost slipped. Like I almost lost my way. Like I almost abandoned this whole thing. Like as a follower of God, uh, because I, I look at the wicked and I just envy them. I look at their life, and I'm jealous of them." And he sees the prosperity of the wicked. He says that. And and I think this is exactly this is like the probably what's going on in Joseph's mind as he's in prison. He's he's in prison. He's in shackles, and he looks to his old household. He sees Potiphar, and they're all prospering. The wicked, they're prospering. He goes, I almost lost my way when I was watching that. I'm in prison, and they're prospering. And maybe that's how you feel in the room. You're looking at the wicked. You see your friends who aren't following Jesus. You see those people, and you're envy. You're jealous. He goes on, verse 4. He goes on to describe, and he goes, they have no struggles their bodies are healthy and strong. Listen, they do whatever they want. They have no struggles. They're healthy. They're strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human, il- human ills. In other words, there's ease. Then I love this. He goes, therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. So it's like they just put on evil. Like they, just, they wear it around them. They're proud of it. It's just, like, it's just what they rep. Verse 7, from their callous hearts come, comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Like, man, they just imagine wickedness. Not only do they live it, but they just, man, they can't even, there's not even an end to their imagination of all the desires they want to fill, the lifestyle that they want to fulfill. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. In other words, listen, they just they just act like everything's theirs. Everything is is theirs, they're entitled to it like heaven's mine earth's mine like they just claim it you guys know people that are entitled like to like the world everything seems to belong to them that way therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance and then check this out it says they say this is what they say how would god know does the most high know anything and so let's see he, he goes listen not only does do the wicked prosper he goes, but then they boast about it before God. Like, they boast about their wickedness. And you guys know this from experience. So it's like your coworkers, your friends, where it's like they just talk about their wickedness. And it's like there's like a braggy-likeness behind it. And then they kind of like, then they make kind of make fun of God. And they say like, well, God forgives things anywhere. Like, God doesn't care. It's just like they just mock God. They celebrate their wickedness, and they mock God. They post about it on Instagram. You know, there's videos of it on social media. It's just like there's this whole lifestyle. It's broadcasted. It's out there. It's in your face. And you guys know that experience too. Asaph is onto something. Look at verse 12 through 14. And he says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. Oh man, there's so much ease to their life. They go on amassing wealth. That's the worst. It's like they're wicked and now they're rich. This is lame. So they're entitled to things and they get what they're entitled to. Uh, it's, it's, it's infuriating. And then he goes, verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. And so then he says, Listen, he goes, In vain, I have kept my heart pure. In other words, I mean, you guys have probably asked this. He's going, What's the point? He's like, They're prospering. They're celebrating it. Their life is easy. They have everything that they want. And he goes, Is there even any point to following God? Is there any point in living in his ways? Now, I know you've, you've been to that point because I've, I've, had, I've had conversations with many of you yourself where it's like, what's the point? Like, I feel like I wake up and the days against me. It's just heavy on me. And then I look and everybody seems to be at ease. Again, Joseph in prison. What's the point, God? I obeyed you and now I'm in prison. And look, they're celebrating and their arrogance and their wickedness. And maybe that's how you feel. But Asaph turns the corner in verse 15. Listen to what he says. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, if I would have spoken like that, I would have rejected your very people, Lord. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Like it caused anxiety in me. It caused confusion in me. I don't understand this, God. Then I love this. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And so what Asaph says is like, listen, I'm looking at the world. I'm seeing the way they're living. I'm seeing everybody go downstream past me as I'm trying to fight upstream. And he goes, I didn't understand this at all until I entered your presence. And he goes, in your, in your presence, God, I saw things from your perspective. God, you gave, me, you gave me a new set of lenses. And now I can actually start to see things as they really are. And so Asaph continues, and this is what he sees in God's presence from God's perspective. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when no one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And he goes, listen, here's what I see in God's presence. The wicked that they're, they're bragging, they're arrogant, they're living their life. He goes, their end is destruction. And then verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he's like, I was, I was bitter about this. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He's like, I was senseless before you. God, I realized I was so ignorant. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In the last two verses of the psalm, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. I love this. You should underline this in your Bible. But as for me, it is good to be near God. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. So Asaph has quite the journey here. He's watching. He's seeing all these things happen. And so, uh, what do we learn from Asaph? Uh, why obey God and possibly suffer? And so we're gonna see. We're gonna see three things. And the first thing is this. Um, and this is the one that's unpopular to share, but it's true in what the scriptures teach. One, uh, in the end the wicked will be judged and destroyed while the righteous enter glory. And so this is what the Bible talks about. The Bible really teaches that, that there actually is a judgment day. And so when God when Asaph is in God's presence and he's sitting in the sanctuary and God what God says is like Asaph listen, yeah, they're on that they're on that stream that kind of leads and it's easy. He's like but the end of it is destruction. And he's listen, he's like this whole series we've been talking about, sin is trading the ultimate for the immediate. And God's saying, listen, they're living for the immediate now, but their ultimate destiny is destruction. He goes, listen, you've got to live for that ultimate. The immediate isn't worth it. And the Bible speaks of this all over the place. Jesus talked about the final judgment. Uh, Paul talked about the final judgment. Peter talked about the final judgment. That what you hope for shapes what you live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. And so constantly, the Bible says, fix your eyes on the final day. And so Jesus says this, he goes, enter through the narrow gate. In Matthew seven thirteen through 14, he goes, enter through the narrow gate. He goes, listen, there's a narrow gate out there. I want you to enter that one. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So Jesus is saying, listen, he's talking to his disciples. He's like, guys, listen, he's like, there's a wide road, and everybody's on that trail. It's well-worn. People are, people are wondering why you aren't going down. He's like, don't go down that road. I know what the end is, and it's destruction. He's like, see that narrow gate? See that narrow road? He's like, walk that road. You don't want the end of that. Romans 2, 5 through 11, the Apostle Paul, he's teaching on Jesus' teachings, and he says this, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. And he's talking to people like Asaph in the story who are just kind of thinking God doesn't care. Like, I, you know, what, what, what does it matter? I can live however I want. He goes, listen, you're, st- you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who, on c- who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But he says, But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the first, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So Jesus says it, Paul says it, and then Paul says it again. The acts of the flesh are obvious. This is Galatians. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, these things you see in the world, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, lives of selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, look outside the church walls, all out there. And he goes, listen, inside the church walls, he goes, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so right off the bat, And what we see from Asaph and what we see in the Psalms and what we see from the teachings of Jesus and Paul is, listen, this is an uncomfortable thing to sit with. But God, there is a day that God has appointed where Jesus will come and every single human being, every single person that God has created will have to stand before him and to give an account of their life. And did they submit themselves to the kingdom of God? Did they receive Jesus as king, as Lord? Or did they not? Because listen, this is why the Bible is so serious about this. God, God is going to come and he's going to restore his world and purge it from all evil and wickedness and sin that ruins his world because he loves it so much. And so what God's saying, listen, if you, I want to redeem and restore this world. But if you don't follow me and if you're not purified, if you're not cleansed, and you're not forgiven, there's no covering. You'll have to be removed too. And the, the picture that I have in my head of this is, uh, it's not just God being a jerk, like, hey, obey me or else something bad is going to happen. Hey, don't chase after the lifestyle of sin or something bad is going to happen. I think it's it's like a good dad who sees his children playing in the streets. is like, hey, listen, don't go play in the street. It's dangerous out there. Hey, don't don't let your heart go there. I know you see them. I know you see what you're doing. I know you're jealous. I know you're envious. I know there's part of that just like in you that wants to go so bad, but don't Envy them. He's like, walk before me. Walk in humility. Trust me. Walk in faith. When it doesn't make sense, trust me. Have a fear and a trembling before God. And so right off the bat, we see, why keep fighting? Because uh, the wicked will be judged and the righteous will enter glory. The second thing that we see from uh, the Psalm, in Psalm 73, because sometimes, let's just be honest, we hear stuff like that. It's like, all right, so life is just going to suck until God redeems and makes all things new. Uh, but uh, what I love about Asaph is he comes to this point where he realizes uh, for those who are waiting for that day, what God offers now is satisfaction and intimacy with God. Look at, look at again, at verses uh, 23 through, t- through 28. And notice, intimacy and satisfaction. God is the one who gives those things. They're not attained. God gives intimacy. He gives satisfaction. But it's for those who walk in God's ways. I really want to emphasize that. The, the satisfaction... And intimacy that God offers is for those who walk in God's ways, and so look at and He said this. He goes, "I am always with you." That's intimacy language. God's like, "I'm always with you." God says, or He says, Asaph says, "You hold me by my right hand." I love that language, like a dad and his child, like you hold me. That's that's intimacy language. And then He goes, "The earth has nothing that I desire beside you." So in the presence of God, He's like, "Man." I realize there's nothing in all the earth that I even desire besides you. Yeah, I see that, and there's a part of me that desires it, but there's nothing that I truly desire besides you. There's satisfaction. And then he says, God is my portion forever. Satisfaction language. He's like, you're my reward. God, you're my treasure. Yeah, that seems nice. Yeah, giving up seems easy. Yeah, saying yes to that. But like, God, you're my portion. You're my treasure. And then he ends, he goes, but as, as, as for me, it's good to be near God. And he's not saying, hey, it's right for me to be near God. He's not like saying, "Yeah, but as for me, the right thing is to be near God. He is saying that. But what he's saying, he's like, God, when I'm near you, I'm satisfied. I'm refreshed. I feel filled up. I see all those things out there. Have you guys ever had that moment with God yet? Where you see all the craziness. You you, you even like are faced with your own desires, your own temptations. But then you come into God's presence and you're like, God, it's just so good to be near you. And so one of the lessons we learned right off the bat, and I really want to say this, some of you are wanting satisfaction and intimacy with God, but you're refusing to cross the bridge that will actually get you there. And that bridge is obedience. And I really want to say that again. Some of you, you desire intimacy with God, you desire satisfaction in life, you desire fulfillment, you desire peace, but you refuse to cross the bridge of costly obedience that gets you there. And so one of the things that you learn, and this is what the scriptures put in front of us, and this is what the scriptures say. When you walk in God's ways, uh, you may lose external peace, but you'll gain internal peace. When you walk in God's ways, you may lose external peace because of what God's asking you to do, but you'll gain internal peace. But when you walk outside of God's ways, you may gain external peace, life might become easier, but you'll lose internal peace. Now, I just want to put it in front of you. Have you ever had li- have you ever a time in your lives where the outside of you is just crazy, hectic, chaos, you're trying to follow Jesus, but it outs- outside of you, just chaos, but because you're so after the heart of God, there's this deep peace that settles upon you. And that's what God offers. That's what he's saying, the satisfaction and intimacy. He's like, listen, it may be crazy out there. It may actually be prison. He's like, but there's a satisfaction and intimacy. But what happens is we choose the the path of least resistance. And so we're like, all right, Lord, I'll take the wide road in this area. I'll kind of do that. And then what happens is, yeah, you're on the easy road. Life is easy, but inside you're dead. You're anxious. You're stressed. There's compromise in your heart. You don't have integrity of walking humbly before God and so you feel like this. So then all of a sudden the outside of your life it goes from peace to unraveling Then the inside of your life goes from peace to unraveling and so this is what the Bible puts in front of you. It goes, hey, listen, there's like two options. Follow me. Commit yourself to me. Walk in my ways. Fight. I, I will give you that peace. I will go with you. I will satisfy you. I will love you, I will pursue you, and I will be there with you. It's going to get crazy out there, but follow me. I remember when I was, um, I spent that, what I just said right there, I spent about three years of my life not fighting and just surrendering to my desires. And what I had was massive internal anxiety and compromise. Outside was fine, but inside I was dead. And I remember laying in my room, crying, saying, Lord, would you change me? But I wouldn't cross the bridge of obedience. Was like, God, I can't do it. It's going to cost me too much. I'm going to get known. I'm going to have to walk away from this relationship. And then it was to the point where I was like, all right, Lord, I'm following you. I'm crossing the bridge. Guess what happened? The peace in my heart rested upon me. The fulfillment of God came. But outside of my life, the chaos of that year was insane. But the peace of the Lord rested upon me. Now look back at Genesis 39, the Joseph story. Satisfaction and intimacy with God. Verse 20, he says this. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. What did we just say? Intimacy and satisfaction. While Joseph was there in prison, now think about it, he's confused, he's frustrated, he's probably questioning God, all the things that you feel. Like, God, what's the point? But the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those Held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did. And so, one of the things that we see right off the bat is that um, Joseph's obedience, it landed him poverty in prison, but God prospered him in his prison. I want to say that again. Joseph's obedience, in your obedience, It might land you in a a type of prison, but God prospered him in his prison. And he says he was with Joseph, he gave him favor, he pursued him, and he showed him kindness. And so what we see is God gives satisfaction and intimacy for those who choose to keep fighting. Uh, The third thing that we see, and this is uh, the last point that we'll end on, is that um, why keep fighting? Why keep taking steps forward? Why keep going upstream? Because God will use your obedience To bring about his kingdom purposes in you and in the world. Let me say it again. God will use your obedience, no matter how costly, to bring about his kingdom purposes in you and in the world. And here's what we see. So Joseph spent 10 years in prison, wondering how his faithfulness God would use. And for 10 years, God gave him no answer just sitting with his thoughts. Maybe God gave him a word of encouragement. Maybe that resonates with you. It's like, I'm just sitting. I've obeyed, but I don't, I don't know like what you're doing, God. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know how you're going to use this for your kingdom. I don't know how you're going to use this for my good. I'm not sure. And he waited for 10 years. And in the darkness and in the waiting, what you see is, this is, and this is, you see it in the rest of the story. So Joseph, he's in prison. And then in prison, all of a sudden, there's these two guys, and they start having these dreams. And then it started to realize that Joseph was able to interpret dreams. And so God gives him revelation to understand these dreams. Uh, and then eventually, so he kind of gives these prophetic gifts and these discerning of dreams. And then a couple chapters later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has these, his, has these dreams. And nobody in all the land can discern them. Nobody in all the land can understand them, even his own magicians, his own people. But he hears that there's somebody in prison named Joseph who can interpret, dream, interpret dreams. And so, so Pharaoh calls Joseph, and he says, hey, come interpret my, ge- my dream. And then, and then so he says, listen, there's like these, he, like these number seven, and there's like these skinny cows, and there's these fat cows. And he's like, what's going on? And Joseph says, listen, all right, here it is. For seven years, there's going to be famine in the land of Egypt. And then there's going to be seven years of plenty where there's going to be so much food. Uh, God's going to bless the harvest. And then that's going to be followed by seven years of nothing, of famine. A type of famine that if you don't prepare for, the whole country goes down. And so Pharaoh goes, listen, God is with this man. He raises him up, puts him second in charge of all Egypt. Pharaoh goes from Potiphar's house, 10 years in prison, and then puts, gets put second in command of all Egypt. Here's why this matters. If Joseph didn't interpret that dream... And if Joseph wasn't in prison to interpret the people's dreams that told Pharaoh that there was a guy in prison to interpret dreams, all of God's people would have perished in the land, in all of Egypt. And so God has Joseph, even in his obedience, suffer and die and feel like death. But then God uses his story, and then guess what happens? He re- God, God uses Joseph literally to save his whole entire people and to save all of Egypt and it's from this line of Israel that Jesus came, and because, one of, because of Joseph's one act of faithfulness when no one was looking, all of God's people get saved in the end. And so I, I picture Joseph looking back on that time and go like, God, I had no idea that's what you wanted to do through me. I had no idea why I had to be in those prisons for 10 years. God, I had no idea. And so he looks back and he sees that. And here's, and here's what we see. Here's the second lesson we see, and this is really important. What God wants to do through you will require costly obedience that might put you in prison-like circumstances, but will result in incalculable good for God's kingdom purposes. I want to say that again. What God wants to do through you will require costly obedience, but it might land you in prison-like circumstances, but the result will be incalculable good for God's kingdom purposes. God will not waste your pain. God will not waste your cost. God will not waste your faithfulness. God will not waste your obedience, even if it takes 10 years to see what he's doing. Even if it takes three months, five years, 10 years, 20 years, God does not waste his people's faithfulness. And here's where we end here. Um, I love in the Bible, all the people that do the greatest things for God's kingdom have to go through extreme suffering to see what God wants to do through them. You think of Daniel has to go through the lion's den. You think of Paul, who's constantly in and out of prison and beatings. But then you get to our Savior, Jesus, the one we follow, the one we love. And what happens? Because Jesus was faithful, because he was obedient, it landed him in the cross. And the cross was the only way to the resurrection. And the resurrection was the only way for God's kingdom purposes to unfold in the world. The only way that you experience salvation and life and freedom, the only way that God restores his world, is if Jesus' obedience took him to the cross. And so here's what I want to say. In your life, the kingdom purposes that are coming, what God wants to do through you, you may have to go through your cross to get to your resurrection. I really want to say that. You may have to go to the cross before you get to the resurrection. And in, and in our life, there are constantly there's, there's these like many mirrors and images of the life of Jesus. It's like Jesus' life was he, he died f- for others, and God honored him. He died to give up his life for us, and God honored him. And he goes, all right, now follow me in that life. Listen, obey me. It might bring cost to your life, but there's a resurrection. And you just trust. And we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and we go, Lord, I'm following you. Give me strength to persevere. Give me strength to love you. God, God, I pray that you give me intimacy. I pray that you give me satisfaction. I pray that you would be my portion. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom purposes would unfold in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we're, uh, we're so thankful for you. And uh, Lord, I, I'm thankful for stories like this, God, where, where we see that um, God following you does result in hard things sometimes. But Lord, we are committed to following you and worshiping you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a reverence. Lord, and that we keep our eyes day, uh, fixed on the day when you will renew all things, God, where you, where you will uh, judge the living and the dead. And Lord, that we might be found in the righteousness of Christ on that day. Lord, because we have surrendered to your kingdom and to your kingship, Jesus, in our lives. But Lord, as we wait and as we seek faithfulness and as we suffer and hurt, God, I pray that you would satisfy us. I pray that we would find ourselves having deep intimacy with you. God, because you reward those who seek you and those who follow you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would use, God, our faithfulness, uh, as imperfect as it is, God, to bring about your kingdom and your goodness in us and in our world. And so, Lord, we pray that and we worship you. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Why don't you stand for a second? And I just wanna read, um, I wanna read a verse over us as we uh, continue into worship. And if you feel comfortable, I just want to encourage you to lift out your hands in a posture of receiving, also reverence before God. Uh, Hebrews 12, one through two says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Jesus, would you help us to throw off our sin that so easily entangles? And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god and so jesus we end this series with you on the throne let us fix our eyes upon you god let us behold you God, and let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. God, I pray that tonight would be a night of repentance. God, I pray that it would be a night of courage. And I pray that we would hear your voice, God, leading us and calling us. And so, Jesus, we trust you, we love you, and we worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.